It's Recode Daily. I'm Adam Clark Estes. And today, we have an episode of Recode Media to share. It's about the state of streaming. Here's Peter Kafka. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. Today, we are going to talk about the streaming wars. Yes, it's 2022. We are still talking about the streaming wars. They're important. Um, and in fact, we haven't talked about them for a bit. We're going to get a refresher today. But before we get to that, I'd like to promote, that's the correct verb, two things I think you may be interested in consuming since you're listening to this podcast. The first is a brief interview I did with outgoing Warner Media CEO Jason Kyler. That went up on Tuesday. That's available on Vox.com. It's a brief conversation. Um, he does not explain what he's going to do next, nor does he explain how angry he is at David Zaslav or how he feels slighted by the Hollywood. But it's a, it's a pretty good and brief interview. And also, you can go and find my new media column, which debuted at Vox.com. It's going to have a name someday. I don't know what the name is now, but it's Peter Kafka's media column. Uh, this one's about the New York Times and their attempt to diversify the audience and why they spent $600 million to do that by buying The Athletic. Um, for now, you can get it for free at Vox.com. It's always going to be free. Uh, eventually, you'll be able to click a button and have it delivered to you via email. We're working on that technology. We're going to figure out how to get it done fairly soon. Uh, it's not a Substack. It's not a newsletter. It'll just be delivered to your inbox. Um, we can call it an email. Sound good? Okay, good. It's free. I think you'll like it if you listen to this podcast. Okay, I'm done promoting my own content. Oh, I'm not done promoting my own content. I'm going to tell you what's happening right now. I'm talking to Michael Nathanson, the excellent analyst who frequently comes to our Code Media conferences. We often cite his work in these podcasts, in my stories. Um, he's going to tell us about the state of TV viewing and, and why Wall Street, which was telling all the streamers to go stream, 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 is now saying, hey, wait a minute, you should actually have profits too. And, and the buying that has put them in. Here's me and Michael Nathanson. I'm here with Michael Nathanson, uh, one of the best analysts I get to talk to on a regular basis. I'm going to say the best analyst I get to talk to on a regular basis. Welcome, Michael. That's so kind of you. Well, I, I got to butter you up, but it's also accurate. Um, I like you so much that we have you speak at our Code Media conferences often. We haven't had one in a while. We hope to have one again in the nearish future. But in the meantime, we'll, we'll settle for a podcast uh, conversation. I want to talk to you about some of the research you've done on the state of TV viewing and, and how Wall Street is thinking about the streaming business right now. I want to start by talking about an annual report you put out. It's called The State of Linear Viewing. This means who's watching TV, who's not watching TV anymore. It's a really good report. You just put it out recently. And the really important takeaway here is that everything, and I think most people know this, but you put it out in, in really stark in stark contrast, the numbers are, are hard to refute. Your takeaway line here is, in the end, linear viewing appears to headed to a world of live programming while almost every other genre is served on demand. So we're going to watch sports and maybe some award shows and news on TV and everything else we, we watch on demand on a streaming service or at least a DVR. Am I, am I summing that up correctly? Yes, Peter. We've, we thought that was going to happen five, six years ago. We both did. But the numbers are now irrefutable, and the pandemic has accelerated that trend. What? So you think? So this is something we all saw coming for a long time, and you think the pandemic just put it over the top? Yeah, because what happened was the pandemic motivated media companies to shift their best content to streaming because we on Wall Street rewarded those companies with higher stock prices, right? So it was almost like Pavlovian. Hey, if we make a streaming service with a lot of content on it with subscribers, we will get rewarded. So they've been shifting more and more of the content over to streaming and, and really debilitating their linear business because of that. 
And they were trying for a long time to have it both ways, and they still are, right? They still are putting new programming on on conventional linear TV. Yeah. Uh, ESPN is an outlier here because sports is still doing well. Yeah. Um, are any of the big conglomerates in particular trying harder than the others to keep their linear business going and keeping their premier product on TV instead of streaming? Well, there's one big outlier. It's Fox, because Fox sold all their content. Mm-hmm. Fox sold their studio and FX and the pieces of Hulu to Disney. And what was left at Fox is Fox News, Fox Broadcast, Fox Sports. They have no other choice, but oddly enough, having no other choice, they have, they have a really good strategy, which is we're gonna keep everything live in the bundle, and therefore what's in the bundle that we provide will go up in value because it's gonna be exclusive to the bundle. That's the only strategy for the bundle that makes sense in my mind. So we know sports still does well live. Uh, it's still dipping. It has dipped over time, but it is, is still holding up. The NCAA semifinal, I think, on Saturday was maybe the second highest rated version of that game in, in history. Um, the other stuff, though, still seems like it's going to be plummeting just as fast. Uh, Oscars, Grammys, that sort of award shows. Anything else that the, the networks can do to arrest that decline? That decline's happening because of fragment. Uh, put music aside, music's always been fragmented, mm-hmm. but that decline's happening in entertainment because those movies that are nominated for the best movies. I've surveyed my teammates here, all media analysts. No one saw Coda except for me. No one saw Power of the Dog except for me. I'm the oldest one on the team. But when those movies are being nominated, Peter, what are you going to do about it, right? And then you look at television. My gosh, Ted Lasso was a, was a great show, but up until it won an award or before that, Marvelous Miss Maisel, the viewership was was tiny, right? So those shows are going down because of fragmentation. There's just there's less of a rally around the um, the TV set to watch our favorite stars win an award. There's just too many, too many, too much content and too little time. And then news, um, which had been strong during the Trump era and the pandemic, that has also fallen again precipitously. Yeah. And that's not uh, that that's irrespective of, of political affiliation. Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, and they're all down double digits year over year. Yeah. And we're assuming, you know, 2020 was a, an incredibly strong news year. But again, what we wonder about in 2022 and beyond is will we get back to somewhat normal levels? Like it, it is declined a ton. I think it's just a really tough compare from 2020, but it remains to be seen because more people are now putting their news like CNN Plus and Fox Nation over the top, and will that cause fragmentation as well? I I don't know. It's too early to say. So you started off by saying, look, I'm partly to blame for this. Me and and Wall Street as a a whole have have pushed the big entertainment companies to move their best stuff to streaming to on-demand. The stuff that's left on linear is, is, is less useful. But there's also now, in the, in the last few months, and you've been leading the charge on this, a reassessment from the big media companies saying, well, wait wait a minute. Um, we thought we were going to get rewarded with really high stock prices if we did this. And now we're not because now, apparently, people like Michael Nathanson want us to pay attention to profitability. Uh, so yes. w- what has happened there? I mean, this was clearly something that anyone could have seen that they were going to be losing money at best at the beginning of this process. And, and the theory was that was fine because they were going to get rewarded like Netflix used to get rewarded for growth. So what shifted? Well, it starts with that, with that Netflix presumption is that for the longest time, Netflix defied my vision of logic because over the many, many years, Netflix stock price, the enterprise value was massive and they had never generated free cash flow, meaning that they never had free cash 
from their operations. They had to keep borrowing money. Yeah, except for during the pandemic. And that happened because there was not a lot of new production and there was a, a people stuck at home. Okay. So, you know, we were we were for many years saying, look, I get it. You know, this is going to be a great story. And that story drove the stock price. But fundamentally, it takes a long-term view of a business to drive the value that Netflix had. Interest rates were incredibly low, and Netflix was the pioneer, right? They were the innovator. But now what you see, Peter, is that there's just more and more people chasing streaming. One of one of my friends slash former executives at Universal said, you know, when I was at Universal, he said, we would spend all year trying to find a movie window on a weekend where we would have the only window because we didn't want to compete with Disney or Warner's. Now, in any given weekend, there are seven different streaming services with seven different premieres. It's just a terrible model, in my view, for people that really want to create you know, free cash flow, right? It's a great model to add subs, but I'm not sure that subs only is the real definition of a good business, right? So we've been on this rant forever. And what's weird about Wall Street is, Peter, if you and I opened up restaurants in New York and we said, we're starting a, a thousand restaurants starting tomorrow, we would not be rewarded with a market cap, you know, for the success of the restaurants. People would say, well, let me judge you and see how you do over time. The restaurant's profitable. But in streaming world, thanks to what Disney did way back when, they made an announcement and their stock prices went up. And the light bulb went off and everyone else said, well, oh, look, if we make an announcement and give people targets on subscriber growth five years hence, we'll be rewarded. Let's have some pity for the poor media. Now, they're not poor. They get paid very well. The, the poor media executive, the poor media CEO says, you guys pushed me to a streaming world. You told me to grow, grow, grow. I did it. I moved a bunch of stuff. I weakened my core business. Now you're telling me I shouldn't have done that. What do I do now? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Uh, maybe the first two or three should have done this. It's going to be harder for the next. Basically, our view is there needs to be consolidation here. You need the weaker hand, and everyone's going to debate whether or not they have a weak hand. The funny thing is, if you had a media executive sitting across from you and not me, they would all tell you how great their hand is, yeah. right? But in short order, both HBO Max and Discovery Plus agreed to merge, right? Like, in the past, since we last talked, well, that's not true, but in the past year, there's been a merger of two guys who were late to the game, and now they're 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 trying to get bigger by consolidation, right? Right, and everyone believes there will be more. I just talked to Jason Kyler, who's leaving HBO Warner Media because Discovery bought his company. Uh, he says there's going to be more consolidation. Let's let's just do some predictions. Who is buying who in the next year? Everyone wants Comcast to be a buyer or a seller. Are, are they going to be able to make a move? Well, Craig, my partner, covers Comcast, and his frustration with Comcast is that Comcast should split NBC Universal mm -hmm. from its cable business. Spoiler alert, they don't want to do that. And then they should have NBCU get ready to try to make an offer to John Malone and and Zazzle two years out to buy HBO and Warner's. Like the right asset to me, and no offense to people at Discovery, was NBC Universal plus Warner Brothers. They're highly aware of that, the Discovery people. Yes. When I talk to them, they say, we were able to get this deal done because NBC Universal couldn't do it because they're still bound up from their last acquisition. So we right, we, we, right, we, we, right. we had a window to do this, and we're highly aware they would right. like to have done it. Right. 
Now, people are pushing, well, why doesn't NBC Universal go by Paramount? But if you think what's at Paramount, you, you can't own CBS and the stations because you've got, you, there are laws about two network ownership and all that station mm -hmm. overlap. Uh, if you're at Comcast, you really want to buy Viacom's cable nets as part of that? Probably not. You'd like to have Paramount Studios, maybe Paramount Plus, maybe Showtime. I don't think that deal happens anytime soon. I think if you're Brian Roberts at NBCU, you sit off to the side, you see how the market responds to Discovery, Warner Media, and you just wait. But you have to acknowledge that in order to get this deal done, you have to spin out NBC Universal from Comcast. And that's something they've not been willing to consider, but they're going to have to do that at some point to get this deal done. What, what is their opposition to spinning it off? They have a very, very, very good uh, broadband business, right? That's a great business, yes. Um, yes. well-situated for the future. Um, what is the point of trying to tie that to NBC Universal? There's no synergy there. Well, they would argue, not to put words, because that they've traded synergies by being able to use their footprint to promote NBC Universal shows and their movies. Remember, there was this whole pitch when Steve Burke was there, that was Project Symphony, and they yes. were able to. You know. I, 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 and one of my colleagues at one of, at a very fine newspaper wrote a story uh, uh, arguing that that was the case, but I don't believe anyone actually believes that. So you just you think you think they are they are dug in on that, and they just refuse to acknowledge that this thing they put together ten years ago should be broken up. Yes, including Sky. Don't forget Sky's in there as well. Which again, Craig would say to you, he hated the Sky deal. There are a slew of smaller players, the AMCs, Viacoms of the world. Everyone assumes they will get bought at some point. You can also make good arguments for they, why they won't get bought because they've got these legacy businesses that are declining. So someday they will get bought. And then for years, you and I have talked about what, what the big tech guys are going to do and whether or not they would be able want to or be able to buy any of these assets. Um, yeah. They clearly haven't to date. It seems politically it'd be very difficult for them uh, in this environment to, to buy, especially something that has a, you know, a, a broadcast component to it. Do you see any, any scenario where an Apple or an Amazon or a Netflix buys one of these big assets? Well, we just had Amazon buy MGM, which I always said to you was never going to happen, right? Especially the price they paid, because why, you know, what are you getting MGM? I think that's more of an AVOD push. But I think what Apple has shown you is that they're able to play this game their own way which is they'll buy movies from Sundance. They'll, you know, put first-class content producers in business. I think Apple won't buy a legacy media company. Like they've had a chance now twice to buy HBO and Warner's, mm -hmm. you know, Warner media has been up for sale twice and they've not been able to, they've not shown an interest in buying it. So I would say that probably proves it. And I think Netflix doesn't need to buy, to buy a studio. Maybe they need to add advertising outside the U.S. We'll talk. We talk about that some other time if you want. But no, I, I think I don't see. I don't see the rationale for why a tech company would want to go out and buy a traditional media company when you could buy rights and producers and creative. You know, the creative people without having to buy a studio. You could build it yourself. So we've got half dozen more, depending on how you count streaming services out there right now. Everyone agrees that's too many, that they will consolidate. Um, when when does that number shrink significantly? Do do Are we in this state for a year, two years, five years? Two or three years from here. We're, we're still in the early stages of this. And they only tap out when, consolid when consolidation makes sense. When, when you have a chance for Comcast to go after HBO, or Paramount to do something like you, you, you're going to, you're going to need 
families, Robert's family, Redstone family, or John Malone to decide enough's enough we need to consolidate. So everyone who believes there are a handful of rich people controlling the world when it comes to media and streaming, they're kind of right. Um, I think we should leave it there. We should have one of these conversations in person at a conference someday. Thank you, Michael. I agree, Peter. I agree. And I'll shut my phone off when I do that. I promise you. Deal. Thanks again to Michael Nathanson. Thanks to our sponsors who bring this show to you for free. Thanks to you guys for listening and writing and pitching me new people to talk to. This is Recode Media. We'll see you next week.